morning, South Valley Community Church. Uh, before we get started, I want to make an announcement. Good news. Um, we are going to take communion next week. So uh, as kind of a fair warning, be prepared to have some, some crackers or some bread and some juice with you or something so that next week we can take communion together. If you normally attend South Valley Community Church, you know that we take communion every Sunday, uh, and it's a big deal. It's, it's a central part of our service, and so many of you have been wondering why we haven't been doing it as we shelter in place, uh, and we're going to get into those reasons, why we haven't been and why we're finally going to. Um, the scriptures are very clear about the significance of communion, about the way to properly take it and to prepare ourselves, so we're going to get into some of that stuff <coughs> next week, but I wanted to give you a warning so that you would be prepared that during the sermon next week, we will all be taking communion together. Okay, so we're still in this series called Encounters, and we're going to be taking a look at Acts chapter 3, where there's a man who's been crippled since birth, and he's begging basically for alms. This series, Encounters, has been a series where we show parts in the scriptures where people encounter Jesus and their lives are radically transformed. We've been doing these encounters through the book of Acts where we see Christians be faithful to, to their Lord and share the good news and then we see that things happen, that God shows up and he changes people's lives. And we believe that happened 2,000 years ago in the book of Acts and we believe it's still happening today. God shows up and Jesus changes lives. So let's dig in. Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms for those entering the temple. Okay, so let's talk about the who, the what, the when, and the where, kind of get into the details. First, the when says that we are at the ninth hour. Now, the ninth hour would have been 3 p.m., and it would have been time in the day where there were sacrifices going on in the temple. Also interesting to note, there was another sacrifice that went on at the ninth hour at 3 p.m. This is when Jesus was crucified and killed. But important for us, as we visualize this, is that this is a jam-packed hour in the, in the temple. Tons of people there. They're going there for their regular prayers. There's sacrifice going on. So there's, there's a, a crowded nature to the scene. So when you picture it, picture the temple being filled with people. And they bring in a man who's been crippled since birth. And they lay him near the entrance to the temple at the beautiful gate. So now we're talking about the where. There were many entrances into this area and many gates. The scriptures identify this portion as the the beautiful gate, and we don't know exactly where this is. There's a couple options in debate, but suffice to say for now, the important detail is this. They bring the man who is crippled to the gate. They don't take him all the way inside. And the reason for this is that because he was born crippled at this time, he would not have been allowed into the inner part of the temple. So, Get the imagination going. Remember, it's, it's this, the ninth hour. The temple's crowded with people. And there's a man who cannot walk. And he's brought to the gate. And picture an imaginary line by this gate. On one side is this man. On the other side is everyone else who's allowed to go into the inner parts of the temple. They, they weren't allowed into the Holy of Holies, but to the, to the inner courts. 
And it's like there's this line there that says, you're out and everyone else is in. And at that very line, this man begs. We don't know how long he was doing this, but it's most likely a regular routine. And this poor man, day in, day out, goes and he begs, alms, 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 spare some change, alms. And we don't know how many times, but probably hundreds of times a day he cries out for alms. He has no way to provide for himself outside of people giving to him. And you can imagine the scene. It may be like how it is now in a big city. Um, most people don't care, but maybe some people do care, and they, they throw a coin or two. But rarely, if ever, do people stop and talk and engage the man. He just cries out, alms, alms, alms. A beggar day in and day out. If you have conversations with the homeless, one of the more difficult things for them that they talk about is not necessarily begging or the hardships of life, but that, that other human beings stop making eye contact with them. That when you've been on the streets long enough, you've been begging long enough, your lifestyles have changed long enough, that people stop making eye contact with you. And there's tons of reasons for that. Some people are wired differently. Some people think this way. Some people, it hurts too much to see someone, but everyone has different reasons. But for the person who's in that condition, it's as if the world pretends you do not exist. And so maybe this beggar is in a similar situation. Day in and day out. Alms, alms. Do you have anything you can spare? Verse 3. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. It's interesting, and we can't, we can't be for certain, but the scriptures seem to be putting an emphasis on this fact that the, the beggar sees them, but he's, he himself maybe isn't giving them attention or looking at them in the eyes, but Peter and John, they gaze at him, they fix their eyes upon him, and they, they, they point out, look at us, look at us, man. And the text goes on. And he fixed his attention on them, solid eye contact, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. What this man was looking for was alms. That was, as he woke that morning, his biggest need. Just get enough money to survive to the next day. And he encounters followers of Jesus, who they themselves do not have much money. And they say, we don't have gold, we do not have silver. But what we do have, we give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him that he was the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. 
Now, a couple interesting notes. One, the text says that he leaps up. And this is the same Greek word that's used in an Old Testament translation called the Septuagint for a passage that's found in the book of Isaiah. And in the book of Isaiah, it talks about in the the day the Messiah comes, the lame will leap and rise up like deer. And so the author of Acts here is giving us an illusion. He's saying, What the prophet hoped for, what the prophets longed for, what Israel longed for, the day the Messiah would come and bring healing, that is before us. The crippled are leaping like deer. And what does the man do? Where does he go? Where does he go? First thing you do, you get healed. Where do you go? It says he goes into the temple praising God. Remember that imaginary line that said, you were on the out and this is what it looks like to be on the end. The first thing he does because of what Jesus has done in his life is he walks from the outside to the inside. He is accepted. He is brought in. He belongs. He is a part of the family of God. Goes into the temple. And this is what Jesus does. He takes those who are on the outside and brings them on the inside. He takes those who might be enemies of God and turns them into friends of God. Then he takes people who might be enemies of God and makes them the family of God. That's what this whole encounter series is about. This is what Jesus does. It's what he did and what he's still doing today. Now, a couple incredibly important lessons come out of just this short passage, and I want to draw your attention to, to three. First, prayer. If you were like paying attention big time the last couple weeks, I mean, it's really easy to miss this, But in these cases where people have encountered Jesus, there's always a component of prayer that's involved. And the component of prayer takes place in a unique way. So I want to walk you through this. So last week we looked at Lydia, a girl who was a slave, and the Philippian jailer. Now look at those three cases where people encounter Jesus and look at ours. Let's walk through them briefly. Acts 16, 12, this is where Lydia is brought to Jesus. Verse 13, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. The apostles looked for a place to pray and something happened along the way. Next, Acts 16, 16, another incident. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. Again, they weren't looking to go do some super active ministry or, or change the world. They were just going to pray and something happened. The other incident with the Philippian jailer, Acts 16, 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Paul and Silas, they're praying to God and worshiping and what happens? Miracles. A miracle happens, an earthquake, the, the, the shackles are broken, and ultimately someone is introduced to Jesus. And then let's backtrack to the first section of our passage today. Acts 3, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried. In every single instance, you have followers of Jesus not necessarily going out and trying to change the world or save the world or do some crazy miraculous thing. They are just being faithful 
and they're going to pray. And as they pray or on their way to pray, something happens. And Jesus shows up and miracles occur. Now this is incredibly relevant for the time that we're in. Because as we shelter in place, one of the things you'll hear is that we can always keep praying. And if, if you're like me and you kind of have like a cynical bent, you're pessimistic by temperament and you're just like, okay, yeah, we're just all going to stay in place. We'll just pray in our houses. I want to do something. What can we do? It's like, what do you mean what can you do? You've been given the task of prayer. Do you know how powerful that is? When you engage in prayer... You engage the living God who wants to draw all men and women unto himself. And in the scriptures, when men and women pray, stuff happens. So my encouragement to us is in this time, do not belittle the simple acts of just being faithful to pray and to worship. And who knows what God might do. Second lesson from this has to do with need. This this beggar thought his greatest need was silver and gold. He woke up every day, or maybe most days, and went and begged. Alms, alms. Do you have anything you can spare? Do you have a coin you can spare? And he did that hundreds of times and repeated those phrases hundreds of times a day. And he thought his greatest need was monetary, financial, silver and gold. And what Peter and John tell him is like, no, 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 we we don't have that. But the good news is that's not your greatest need. Your greatest need is not that. It's not even receiving physical healing. You need to know the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he gets that, he also gets the healing thrown in. But make no mistake about it. It's the name of Jesus that this man needed to hear. Incredibly relevant for us because there's a temptation to to be filled with anxiety, to be filled with stress and worry. What am I going to do about this? What am I going to do with this? How am I going to care for this person? And all of those are real needs. The Bible doesn't say those aren't real. They're real issues. But what it does say is silver and gold and earthly issues are not your biggest need. And whatever your biggest need is, that's what you should be most concerned about. And the good news of Jesus Christ is that your biggest need has been cared for. You are a slave to sin. You were in debt. And Jesus Christ himself has paid that debt. And he offers you grace and forgiveness freely. He brings you from the outside to the inside. He takes you as a stranger and adopts you as a son or daughter into his family. And whatever happens on this earth, whatever may come upon us, whatever may fall upon us, There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus and eternity has been prepared for you. Which leads us to the third point. This is a story about a beggar. But in another sense, it's a story about all of us. Because truth be told, we are all beggars just scraping to get by. There's a band I've listened to for years uh, by the name of Thrice, and they have a song called Beggars. And in it, the lyrics talk about how, like, don't you realize how everything is just being held together by, like, a string? 
tomorrow is not promised to you, like whether you're, you're rich or poor, whatever your ethnicity may be, nothing is promised to you. You could die of a heart attack. You could die in your sleep. It doesn't matter how much money you have. doesn't matter where you're from. doesn't matter your background. doesn't matter what country you grew up in. Like, there's a legitimate existential terror looming over all of us. And when, when things like the coronavirus hit, it forces your gaze upon that and you can begin to stress out about things. But make no mistake about it, tomorrow's not promised for no one. You could die in your sleep. Your kid could get in a car accident. You can get the cancer diagnosis. No one knows what tomorrow holds. And so when we approach God, we've got nothing we don't know what, it, what, what could happen. Every breath is, is a gift. And so when we approach Jesus, we approach him just like a beggar. Lord, I've got nothing. I don't know what tomorrow offers. I don't know how many days I have left. I don't know how I'm going to die, when I'm going to die. I don't know what may come upon our country, our culture, There's all these worries that we have, but they're always there. But the Christian says, man, I was a beggar and I had no hope. But Jesus Christ gave me grace. He gave me grace. And that reorients the way you view the world because you understand that every day is a gift, every breath is a gift. And most importantly, salvation is a gift undeserved, unmerited. You were just on the street crying out on the outside and Jesus Christ showed up and brought you in. And so I say that because I want us to know no matter what's going on, our biggest problems have been cared for. Christ himself has paid the price. We are a part of his family. And even if this whole world collapses, he has a new world prepared. And we will go on living with him in glory and in joy for all eternity. And that's why Christians could live differently. We live differently. We face the problems of the world differently. We don't pretend they don't exist, but we face them differently. We know God loves us, he saves us, and he gives us grace. So, every week, we've been wanting to close with the Lord's Prayer. So in a moment, I'm going to have you, if you're sitting down and watching this, go ahead and stand up and we're going to recite the Lord's Prayer together. And as we recite this, I want us to focus on the one section of it that says, give us this day our daily bread. Because daily bread is what the Lord says he'll provide. We're not called to worry about tomorrow or next year or next week. We focus on what God has provided in the now. And we are beggars at his table, and he's made us family and given us grace. Please stand. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil.